Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Adam. Hey, I'm Cole. And every week we talk about ways that you can bring your creative dreams to life. And this week we're going to be talking about three kind of painful lessons that are important for growth in your artistic career. You have you know? such a nice voice today, Adam. Thanks. I've been listening to a lot of NPR. Yeah, I can um, hear it. My Bluetooth has been kind of wonky lately in my car, so... And so you can listen to more public radio. Terry Gross. I'm Terry Gross. This is fresh air. And my voice, on the other hand, I've been battling allergies. Seasonal allergies? Quote, unquote, allergies. (laughs) No, (laughs) they're allergies. In in these unprecedented times. Oh, man. Do you remember last year if you sneezed wrong, people would look at you? Oh, I still do that. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) But... You know, it's nice that now you can just have allergies. Anyway, painful lessons. Yeah. So every week we try to, you know, keep it fun, keep it light sometimes. But this week we're talking painful lessons. And these are things that you might not have fun when you learn them, but you can always apply them to the next time. So, Or you can learn them now and just be prepared so that when they happen, not a big deal. Yeah, it's not as much of a surprise. So the first lesson, and this one, you know, when you hear this, it stings a little bit, but... Sometimes you can do everything right and still fail. Adam. Yeah. I was watching random YouTube videos for lunch this week. Mm-hmm. Not for lunch. I wasn't watching them for lunch. Delicious. I was watching them during lunch and I came across this 24 minute video about um, a theme park called Hard Rock Park that was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They spent $400 million building the park and it was open seven months to the public. Really? And everything, like they did it all right. Like they got the loans, but they opened the park in 2008 and there was an, a downturn in the economy and the attendance that they needed wasn't there because gas was like $4 a gallon and people weren't traveling. And so eventually they just had to shut their park down. And it was, uh, and now most, most of it is just a asphalt lot. That's crazy. And you would say that they kind of did everything right aside from timing? Yeah, it was like professional people who had worked in the theme park industry for a really long time. It was well run. It was well designed. It was creatively thought through and executed with high level of excellence. But then all of the circumstances just led up to this thing not working out. Right. And that is definitely sad. And it's definitely crazy to hear about things like that. But success is not a math formula just because you do x and y doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get z result and i think that when you first encounter things like that it's easy to get down on yourself but then you kind of realize there's like a positive side to this which is that sometimes you can screw up all kinds of things but because success can be unpredictable sometimes Mm -hmm. you screw up all kinds of factors and just do things wrong stumble through a project and it turns out amazing yeah. And it can be a great success. Sometimes those, what we would maybe consider failures in the moment are what make the thing interesting or move us in a different direction or cause us to ask for help, which a lot of times helps us result in success. So yeah, there's definitely a flip side to that coin. But yeah, so, you know, sometimes you do everything right, still fail. The second hard lesson that stinks when you learn it the first time is that there will be gatekeepers that you sometimes have to work around or work with that just might not like you. Uh, Sometimes one person might be the booker for an art gallery and they just might not care for your paintings. Sometimes there's a promoter at a venue that 
just doesn't like your songs. Sometimes there's going to be someone writing a blog about art that you really want to get on and they just don't like your art for some reason. And sometimes you're just going to have to work around that. You're also going to have to play nice with some of those kinds of people. And it might feel like you're kind of selling your soul a little bit, Hmm. but you know, sometimes that's just what you got to do. There have been concert promoters that I don't like working with. Sometimes they're unprofessional. Sometimes they don't feel like they have their act together. Sometimes they're just mean. Hmm. And there have been times where I've chosen, you know, maybe there's this concert that gets announced and I think, oh, I'd be a good fit to open up for this. And it's just like, maybe it's not worth it Hmm. to even try because I just don't want to deal with that person. They've been mean to me in the past or not treated me well or tried to undercut my pay or whatever it is. And you're going to pass up on work because you don't want to work with people that are those gatekeepers. Yeah, man, that's, that's a crazy reality. Like it's so true. Um, among other things, uh, I have that I have created at one point I wrote a book several years ago and it was honestly way ahead of its time. (laughs) And we've heard that before and highly effective. Um, so I, as I've talked about it sometimes on the podcast in the past, I grew up in kind of a religious environment and this book was called Spiritual Innovation. And it talked about this idea that like a lot of times when we think about spirituality, we always think about it in terms of the past. Like the the best was in the past. We're trying to recreate the past. All the things that we need to know have already happened. But what about this idea of like, you know, we as humans grow and change and evolve the world around us, growing, changing, evolving. What does it look like for us to think about that in terms of, like spiritual life or religion to be in a place where we're expectant that things are moving forward, things are, are progressing. So that was the concept of the book. And in fact, I think in like the second or third chapter, one of the things that I kind of like talked about was this idea that um, the, the closer and closer the American evangelical church gets to politics, the worse and worse off it is. And this is why I say it's ahead of its time because I wrote this book probably eight or nine years ago. And it was before like Donald Trumpism. It was before a lot of the crazy things we see in relationship with like religious people and so many insane things that are happening right now in our culture. Um, And anyway, so I was super happy with the book. I really felt like it said some important things, but the publishing industry then, and maybe even a little bit more so now uh, was totally based on, you getting a book deal because you already had an audience. Like I would talk to book agents and I had some really productive and fantastic conversations with a few different book agents. And literally this one agent said to me, it's more likely for me to take somebody who's never written a book in their life, but has 50,000 followers on a social media platform and have someone else write a book for them and publish it under their name than it is for me to take something that's super well-written and very important and get a book deal for that. And it was one of those scenarios where it was like, okay, there are these people who's at the end of the day, their bottom line is to make money. Their bottom line is no longer about finding talent and cultivating it. It's no longer about finding important ideas and putting those out into the culture. It truly is about finding the people who already have an audience they can sell something to and creating a product that they can slap that person's quote unquote brand onto and then sell that to their consumers. Like that's totally the way that the industry was looking at it. And 
so, I mean, that was a perfect example of exactly what you're talking about here. There will be gatekeepers that we have to work through or around, or sometimes even those gatekeepers will prevent us from doing a thing. Now, to be honest with you, I am totally happy about where I am and what I'm doing. And I think that there are a lot of things that happened in that process that probably sent me in a direction that is more conducive for who I am and who I want to be. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a really crappy thing to experience in the moment. Yeah. And when that is happening to you and when you're dealing with these gatekeeper types of people, I think it's important to analyze the situation and just see what the right move is. Sometimes I have passed on gigs because I don't want to deal with the gatekeeper type person that's standing there. Other times it might be something where you can communicate with them directly and say, Hey, are we cool? Like is, you know, sometimes I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe this, that, and that, is that on me? Am I projecting a little bit? Um, Maybe I'm being insecure or is that accurate? And other times there might be the nuclear option where, Oh, what's that? (laughs) I mean, there's been times where maybe you go over someone's head a little Uh, like, Hey, I'm trying to do something here. Yeah. And this guy that you put in charge of making sure, you know, X, Y, Z thing is happening he's shutting me out and I could make you Hmm. a lot of money Hmm. and gosh, I have a ton of those stories. Yeah. I mean, we've, I think every once in a while you have to kind of go over someone's head, but that can kind of be the option that you, you don't want to lead with that Yeah, because you, you know, people, you don't want to be the guy that's hard to work with either. Let me tell you this story. So um, there was a request for proposals, which is something a lot of government entities do. Uh, for the design of a particular event um, at a particular municipal agency. In the industry, we call that an RFP, by the way. Vague intentionally. Um, And we went and we were shortlisted. Our company was shortlisted and one other company was shortlisted. That meant they were going to pick one of the two of us. We made a really compelling presentation, but ultimately the scoring came down to how many times has this company done this exact same thing in other places other than here. So they were looking to recreate something that already existed. Well, our entire presentation was completely customized to the place that we were building it for. We had never done those things before because we intentionally brought something completely original. Well, the other entity ended up being selected for the project. Well, we took that idea we fleshed it out and then we went to another entity and presented it to them. And that's what is now an event that we produce during the holidays called Dazzling Nights. That's been a huge success for us. And it's been a, we're about to do a second one in Jacksonville. We'll have one here in Orlando again this year. And it's just like, honestly has become the seed for so many other things that we're creating as well. Yeah. And I think on the flip side of that, there will be, times where you're the gatekeeper now Mm -hmm. and you'll find yourself in that position and i think you know for each of these we're trying to take something with us for the next time yeah so yeah sometimes it might be better to just move on and find a different gatekeeper Mm -hmm. maybe you become that gatekeeper one day remember what it feels like to be on the other side of that gate are you calling me the man now no is that what you're doing that the man you know when you're a young budding artist and you're trying to find opportunities and someone treats you badly, remember that. Oh, for sure. And then when you are the person who can say yes or no to someone, bring that experience that you have into that situation so that you don't perpetuate that cycle of what feels like maybe toxic behavior. Yeah. You know, I hate when I inquire about something and someone doesn't even answer at all. 
like mm-hmm. I've reached out, hey, this concert that's coming to town, it looks like there's no openers. I, you know, I'm available that day. I would love to do it. I could probably sell 50 tickets. No response. You know, they saw your email. Hmm. Like to me, I hate that. So yeah. I've kind of taken that with me is no matter what, if I'm going to say no to someone, even if I think it's a terrible fit, I'll always write back to them. Just, hey, you know, I appreciate you reaching out. Unfortunately, I don't think it'll work out at this time. However, maybe there's another opportunity down the line. So keep my email in mind and don't hesitate to reach out in the future. Just even something as simple as that, that takes you two minutes to write, can encourage someone and keep them in a positive mindset. Instead of saying, man, no, they didn't even get back to me. Hmm. And so, you know, just taking that with you when you become that gatekeeper, just treat people, you know, with respect. So, you know, that's lesson number two and lesson number three, which sometimes this one hurts the most is that there's going to be competition in your field and sometimes they will get the work that you want. Hmm. And sometimes that's going to be the same person over and over and again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A lot of the arts industry is small. Yeah. And if you do something hard and unique and you do something that not a lot of people do, maybe there's one other person in the whole city that does what you do and it can stink watching them get Hmm. the job over and over again. But you know, are you speaking from a place of experience, Adam? Um, yes and no. I mean, there's, you know, when I'm recording bands, like there's other studios in town and sometimes there is like a niche of type of artist that you like working with. And then somebody pops in and just attracts a bunch of clients all at once. Hmm. Maybe they're the new shiny thing in town or, you know, somebody older with a lot bigger portfolio decides, oh, you know what? It'd be cool to move to Orlando. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're getting all this work. Yeah. I have a friend who's a stylist um, and moved to a city and got a lot of work. Um, he's very good at what he does, but also there is that sense of newness when somebody came in, when somebody arrives. And uh, yeah, I think he got some of that the angst he was on the receiving end of some of that angst from other people who had been in that industry uh, in that city for quite some time. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely a real thing. What do, what do we do like when that happens to us? Honestly, I think the answer to that is one of the tricky ones because you don't want to like slander someone or start undercutting their prices extremely or anything like that. And sometimes really all you can do is hold out, and just acknowledge, hey, I'm getting some work. If they're getting a lot of work, that means there's work to be had. Yeah. And so keeping that in mind, like, hey, sometimes maybe there's projects they want to do that spilled over onto you. And they might be thinking the same thing. Like, man, I really wanted to work with that person, but they went to Adam. Like that's happened before where someone mm-hmm. came to me and I found out they were talking to a couple different studios and they picked me and the other studios were not happy about it either. Mm. Like we tend to think of ourselves as like this entity that, well, we we know our own behind the scenes, you know, and we know how much work we thought we were going to get that got passed up on. We see everyone else's highlight reel and we see their portfolio and go, wow, they worked with that person. But, you know, if they're making a career out of it and you're trying to make a career out of it too, eventually they're going to move they're going to retire maybe what they're doing stops being trendy and cool whatever it is so you know the work exists they're getting it maybe you know if you just hold strong i mean really it does it does come down to something that we talk about all the time on here which is the best way to do something is to keep doing it like 
if some if there's a bump in the road, if there's a painful lesson, if there's somebody who says no, if somebody else is getting the work, like the best way forward is just to keep doing what it is you do. Yeah, and I'll say this, there is when I was running a studio, there was one studio that specifically we ran in a lot of the same circles, but they were undercutting our prices insanely, hmm. like a lot. And it actually started to kind of bite them in the butt a little bit mm-hmm. because they were getting a lot of work and their volume of work they were getting was high, but they were not able to consistently deliver a good product because of that. And eventually they started getting frustrated with their clients saying, oh, you need all these revisions. What the heck? I'm charging you such a good price. And people are like, well, it's our music. We want people to like it. So we're not going to put out like subpar quality. So you need to do the revisions. And then they would get, you know, it just becomes this awkward back and forth. So it's, you know, there'd be people I knew for years who would go record there. Then they would come to me later and go, yeah, we went there. The price was great, but the customer experience was not good. Mm. So I want to hire you this time and I'll pay the rate that you quoted me. Adam, this reminds me, I need to bring something up with you. Um, We have four unfinished songs uh, sitting on your hard drives at your house. That's true. (laughs) <laughs> all right that we're gonna stop true. recording the podcast now and we're gonna go work on those so thanks for hanging out with us as always it's a incredible honor that you spend time uh here on the entrepreneur podcast follow us on instagram at entrepreneur podcast learn some lessons but allow them to help you grow instead of beating you down uh and until next week go out and make some cool stuff see ya see you next week <laughs>